It's a really special privilege for me to be able to bring the word to you guys this morning. I'm also a little bit, I don't really get too nervous anymore. Uh, when I, I'm a little bit nervous, and um, this is going to really sound silly, especially to Mike, but something about preaching in front of your, your mentor. It's a little nerve-wracking, but he's gracious. So he, I only had him tell me once after one of my Habakkuk sermons, this is the, the harshest, everything I've ever heard Mike, when he said, I, I'm, I'm not sure what that meant. <laughs> so we rebooted that whole chapter, if you remember, and started over. Uh, that was really about the harshest I've ever heard him be, so there's no reason to be nervous in front of him. Plus, it's one sermon, what are you going to, I'm going back to Asia, so what are you going to do, Really? We're going to be in Psalm 103 this morning, Psalm 103, and this is not the sermon I initially planned to preach, you guys, I'm initially going to preach, I think I said this on Sunday night from 2 Corinthians 4 about weakness, um, because that's my life, and um, I went to, to lunch with a, a pastor friend of mine in Taiwan, and his. Uh, you guys may remember an update, his father has uh, stage four brain cancer. His name is Frank Cohey. My friend is Daniel. And we talked about this, this psalm for about an hour, and I was so excited at the end of it that I thought, i got to preach that. Um, so that's why we're, we're uh, looking at this psalm today. I hope it will be a blessing to you. Uh, let's read this psalm in its entirety and take a look at it. Psalm 103 of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor Repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. 
that his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you as angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your help this morning as we study this marvelous psalm. Lord, would you help me to be clear in what I say and help those who are listening to be clear in how they listen. Lord, teach the truth to our hearts that we need to hear today. Cause us to leave this morning with a, an even bigger, better picture of who you are. In your name we pray, amen. Well, this entire psalm, Psalm 103, is one long hymn of praise to God. And it's interesting to me, and maybe not to you, but there's only one imperative in this entire psalm, one, one command, and it's this, bless the Lord. The rest of the psalm, David spends telling us why it is that we should bless him. It tells us what it is about God that makes him worthy of being blessed by us. From verse 3 to verse 19, the, the, the majority of the psalm the psalmist speaks all about the benefits of God. Now, it's not difficult to figure out what David's trying to accomplish in this psalm. He wants to motivate himself to bless or to praise Yahweh. Additionally, as we move through the psalm, we'll see that he wants to motivate all those who fear God to praise the Lord. Additionally, he wants the entire universe to praise its maker, Yahweh. And my hope is as we look at the benefits of God together from this psalm this morning, that we will be motivated along with David to bless the Lord. As we move through this psalm, we're going to see five benefits of God, five benefits of Yahweh that will cause us not to forget, five benefits of Yahweh that will motivate us to worship, or as the psalmist says, to bless the Lord. Now, before we look at the five benefits, let's look together at verses 1 and 2 the psalm's introduction. As I read these verses just a few minutes ago, you may have been thinking to yourself, what does it mean to bless the Lord anyway? I mean, isn't he the one who blesses us? What do you say when you get a new job or a new car or a new house or a new wife? I mean, you know what I mean, okay. <laughs> what, do we, what do we say in all this? We say, God bless me with, if you're a believer, you say, God bless me with this thing. But, but the, the meaning here is a little bit different. David says to bless the Lord, and what he's doing is he's calling himself to bless. But that word that, that's translated bless in the English comes from a root in the Hebrew, which means to kneel down. And it means to acknowledge God's position of power and authority and to give him the honor that he alone is due. It means acknowledging that everything that gives meaning to our lives is a gift from a kind and gracious God who seeks our best. That is what David is calling upon himself to do here. So in verse 1 of our psalm, he's calling on himself to do something. He's, he's really talking to himself. We're just led into this sort of private, personal conversation that David's having with his own soul. One of my favorite authors, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a dead Welsh guy, he said that, that our, one of our problems is that we too often 
listen to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. He said in his book on spiritual oppression that we must address ourselves. We must, must preach to ourselves. We must question ourselves. We have to remind ourselves of who God is, who he is, what he is, what he has done, and what he has promised to do. And that's exactly what the psalmist is doing here. He didn't have Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's doing it anyway. He's talking to his own soul. He's talking to himself. We might think of him as a crazy person if we saw him walking down the street, but he's just talking to his own soul. And David says, everything in me is being called to bless the Lord. So when he adds all that is within me to my soul, he's explaining that he desires every part of himself, every part to, to participate in blessing the Lord, his mind, his heart, his will, all of it, all praising Yahweh. And David gives himself and us the reasons why it is that he desires to bless Yahweh because of his holy name and because of his benefits. God's holy name is a central theme in the psalm. We can, we can see that because the covenant name of God, Yahweh, occurs 11 times in these 22 verses. David also reminds himself not to forget any of God's benefits. This is the other reason why he wants to bless the Lord. And these benefits are what make up the bulk of the psalm. So David is calling himself to bless Yahweh. He's talking to himself. And he spends the next 17 verses describing and explaining the benefits of God and connecting them to God's covenant name, Yahweh. And he does this to remind himself and us that all of God's benefits are inextricably linked to himself. The common theme that runs through all of these benefits is a way in which Yahweh's steadfast love has always prevailed over Israel and David's unfaithfulness. That Hebrew word for steadfast love, I'm sure you know it, chesed. It's one of the most important words in the entire Old Testament. It describes the love of Yahweh that persists in spite of his people's sin. It's a love that cannot be broken. It's a love for us as humans that is almost unfathomable. We can't understand that. Even in our best relationships, our, our love breaks, but God's never does. We see this love throughout Scripture. We see it in Yahweh's redemption of people from slavery in the land of Egypt. And then late, their later salvation from enemies and trouble. We see it in the preservation of life from death. We see Yahweh's steadfast love in the creation of new spiritual life and in our own redemption from sin. If you've experienced that, you know God's steadfast love. And we see it in Yahweh's keeping of his covenant with his people. Yahweh's steadfast love occurs four times in this psalm, and it's attached to all of the benefits that David tells us of and that we're going to talk about. It connects Yahweh's motivation to care for his people with our motivation to respond by blessing Yahweh for all his benefits. So David begins and ends the psalm by calling himself to worship. But in between, he calls all of those who fear God and then the entire universe to worship him. But why this call to worship? And why does David's call to worship keep expanding until it includes everything that God created? because of God's great steadfast love. The more that David meditates on God, the more that he contemplates the steadfast love of Yahweh for unworthy, wicked sinners like you and me and him, the more he is filled with the need to bless Yahweh. And the more he must tell others to do the same. This brings up an interesting question for me. 
And that is, why does David have to exhort himself not to forget the benefits of God anyway? Because if you know the story of David, David himself has been guilty of doing that very thing, of forgetting the benefits of God. David has been guilty at times of trusting himself and not God. What did God say to him when he sinned with Bathsheba? If it, I would have given you whatever you wanted. You didn't have to go take Bathsheba. Whatever you wanted, I would have given you. I'm your everything. David forgot. We all have a tendency to forget the benefits of God. In times of prosperity, in times of great difficulty, in times of just even travel, which I wish I knew what that was like. Here's the great news. God, Yahweh, knows our tendency to forget. And that's why he motivated, he inspired, I'm sorry, inspired Moses on three different occasions in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 4, 6, and 8. And he warned his people not to forget his commandments and what he had done for them. He, he was reminding them. Moses does the same thing in Deuteronomy for the children of Israel that David does here for himself. He calls them not to forget. Don't forget. And he reminds them of all the things that Yahweh has done for them. He calls them to remember the benefits of Yahweh. And even though they did forget, and even though they turned against God, God remained faithful to them. So why does David remind himself and us not to forget the benefits of God? Because you are, and I am, and every human being is forgetful by our nature. There's an important question to ask ourselves as we, before we look at these five benefits of God. If you're a Christian, have you forgotten the benefits of God? Have you begun to trust in your own feelings and your own circumstances? I want to give you a personal illustration of how easy it is to forget. Uh, before we ever knew about Taiwan, when I graduated seminary, I had this idea that I would graduate seminary and become a pastor. I just, boom, seminary pastoral ministry but I graduated on a Sunday and on Monday night I was picking up other people's trash like I had been before that just doing family business and I got angry about that I was upset with God I asked him many times what why, what have you just put me and my family through four years of seminary and if you haven't been through it it's you know it's a party and um Guys, I was sinning. I was, I was really upset. God's plans did not match my own. After four years of studying God's word, of preaching and teaching, I, how, how quickly I forgot the benefits of God for me. And do you know how he responded to that? Brought Taiwan to us and took us to Taiwan and um, gave me another inexcusable reason not to forget his benefits. And it didn't stop there, guys. I've been in Taiwan trying to learn Chinese. It's a ridiculous language. I love it. I love it. It's fascinating. It's beautiful. But it's hard. And many, many days I've left my, the university where I studied just completely defeated. If I could give up, that's not an option. I would have. It's so hard. So many days I've been defeated and just, just forgotten totally that God called us here. God will allow me to learn this language. It's up. It's not up to me to do my part, but it's up to Him to to make it happen. Just forgot how faithful He had been through everything He did to get us there. Accidental ten thousand dollars given to us. So I'm already going to be way over, so I won't share the story. But 
Um, there's so many. Our house sold in two days, guys, two days. You forget all these things that God did to get you so quickly we forget. And maybe you've forgotten too. But the really great news is that God continues to give us grace and remind us of what he has done. He's faithful to us even when we aren't faithful to him. And even though we may have moments or many, many moments where we, we were weak and doubt and forget, God's always faithful. And we can trust that the one who began his work in us will be faithful to complete it. Let's look at these benefits, okay? Uh, enough of introduction. Let's look at these five benefits. I hope you'll be encouraged by them. In verses 3 through 5, we have the first be- benefit. David tells us of the benefit, this first benefit of God that we must remember. That is the benefits of God's personal care. When we first read these verses or read these verses, we may be tempted to think that David is describing the universal experience of all followers of Yahweh. We might think that because we see the words you and your, that he is referring here to us. But as I've already said, he's referring to himself. The pronouns here are singular in the Hebrew. They're all pointing back to the the, uh, noun in verses 1 and 2, David's soul. So we could read these first five verses like this, who forgives all my soul's iniquity, who heals all my soul's diseases, who redeems my soul's life from the pit, who crowns my soul with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies my soul with good so that the soul of my youth is renewed like the eagles. David is exhorting himself to bless God. He's reminding himself not to forget all the benefits that he lists in these verses. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean there's nothing here for us, though, or that these benefits are unique to David. But David is clearly talking about his own life and his own experiences here. As David tells himself of the benefits of God's personal care in these verses, he arranges them in, in three pairs of benefits, with the first one resulting, the first part resulting in the second. The first pair is found in verse 3, forgiveness and healing. And when David speaks of forgiveness of healing, he's saying that the benefit of having his iniquity forgiven is that all of his soul's, soul's diseases are healed. This isn't a promise of some have said that we will be healed from every sickness. That's a gross abuse of this passage. Psalm 32, along with Psalm 51, describes the great benefits of forgiveness after genuine repentance. This is the kind of forgiveness that David received after he sinned against God with Bathsheba. He says in Psalm 32, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. In Psalm 32, David's speaking of the physical effects of unconfessed, unrepented of sin. The guilt that David felt was a spiritual problem that led to definite physical effects for him. So David's statement in verse 3 of our psalm should not to be taken to, to mean that God always heals all of our physical sicknesses in this life. He is certainly capable of doing so, and many times he does heal. And in heaven, he ultimately heals all of the sicknesses of all those who follow him. We will one day be perfectly whole. But sometimes he doesn't heal. And that's part of his plan, too, just as much as if he does. When it comes to our sicknesses and the sicknesses of those we know and love, we must remember that God is sovereign over those things. 
that according to Deuteronomy 32:39, he makes alive, he wounds, and he heals. God is sovereign over sickness and death and healing. And as we move through the other benefits, we'll see that he exercises his sovereignty with great compassion and care. We can be absolutely assured, along with David in verse 3 here, that God forgives all our iniquities and all our sins. And we can be assured of the healing of all our spiritual diseases. The next benefits of God's personal care are found in verse 4, redeeming and crowning. And it's in this verse that we first encounter the steadfast love of Yahweh. David reminds himself how God redeemed his life from the pit and crowned him with steadfast love and mercy. David knows this. If Yahweh had not intervened, his life was on a path to destruction. If you're a Christian, you know that same truth. But because of God's sovereign grace, God chose to redeem David from eternal death and punishment and to give him a righteousness that he could never earn. So when David speaks of his life being redeemed from the pit, he's speaking of a resurrection to eternal life. And the crown that David speaks of receiving is a crown that Yahweh has given him, a crown of the steadfast love and mercy of Yahweh. This is a crown that marks him out as belonging to God. And David is talking to himself, reminding himself that Yahweh is his ultimate satisfaction and that it's his relationship with Yahweh alone that will sustain him. The final pair of benefits of God's personal care found in verse 5. Now, when David says here that Yahweh satisfies him with good, he's not saying, God gives me a bunch of good things. New car, new house. Well, they didn't have cars back. New chariot, new house, another wife. What he's saying is that Yahweh is both the means by which he is satisfied, but more importantly, Yahweh is the thing that gives him satisfaction. In other words, David is completely satisfied because he has God. It's because of this truth that David can be satisfied with whatever happens in his life. It's a reason he can say in Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man who takes refuge in him. David knew, and you and I can know too, that everything that happens in our lives is from God's hand and is for our good and his glory. And what is the result of being satisfied with God and by God? The result, David says, is that his youth is renewed like the eagles. Words that should remind you of Isaiah 40, 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Unfortunately, this verse has been used for sport events. I remember hearing this in my Christian school a lot. That's not what's going on here. This is, this is a spiritual renewal. This is how David can keep going because he is completely satisfied in, in Yahweh. The benefits of God's personal care are amazing. He forgives. He heals. He redeems. He crowns. He satisfies. And he renews. And the one who does all of these things for David and for us is God alone. He does these things for a wicked sinner like David. And he does these things for wicked sinners like you and me. And he does them not because David deserved them, because David had somehow done enough good to merit them. And he doesn't do them because we deserve them. But he does it only because of his grace. 
I think we can summarize David's testimony in these first five verses in just three words. We could have saved us a lot of time and just said this. Well, these three words, God is enough. In fact, he's more than enough to satisfy all of those who follow him. And because of the benefits of his personal care, God will completely satisfy and care for you and me. So in verses 1 through 5, David was calling himself to bless the Lord. But now, beginning in verse 6, David transitions from talking to himself to calling the Israelites and those who fear God to join him in blessing the Lord. It's sort of like when Daniel starts singing up here and he's by himself. And then the, the ladies over here start singing and they sort of join, join in the chorus and everybody else. So that's what David's doing. He's expanding the chorus of praise to include all those who are God's people. It's in these verses that we begin to hear how God's benefits toward his people show his greatness, sovereignty, and steadfast love for those who are his. In these verses, we find the second type of benefit, the benefits of God's own character. Verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We have in this verse a very clear statement of the covenant love of Yahweh for his people. Yahweh is merciful. He does not give us what we deserve. He's gracious, giving us good that we couldn't even hope to earn. He is slow to anger and full of steadfast love. It's amazing to me that a perfect, holy God does not quickly and severely deal with the sins that I commit. What about you? And we know better. And not only does he not quickly punish our sin, he continuously pours out his steadfast love to us. If you're not staggered by that, check your pulse. Look with me at verses 6 and 7 of our psalm. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And then he made known his way to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. And these two verses... David is making a connection between the character of God in verse 8 and historical events surrounding the Exodus. Back in Exodus, Yahweh gives Moses assurance that he will not abandon his people in spite of their unfaithfulness to him. And then in Exodus chapter 33, Moses asked Yahweh to show him his glory. You guys probably are well versed with this story. And Yahweh's response is to show himself to Moses in a unique way. And as he is passing by Moses puts his hand over his, it says the words quoted by David here from Exodus 34, 6, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. But don't forget what had just happened in Exodus 32, idolatry. The people have just been delivered from the land of Egypt, from the land of slavery, and immediately they turn to idolatry. And Yahweh's response is to proclaim his covenant love for his people and his faithfulness to them in spite of their unfaithfulness to him. That's amazing. These are the benefits of God's own character spoken of by David in verse 8. And it's these benefits that lead us to the wonderful promise of verse 9. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. God's forgiveness, his disposition towards us is tied to his fundamental character, his mercy, his grace, his patience, and his steadfast love. And because his forgiveness is tied to his character and not ours, 
God is willing to forgive all those who come to him. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Now how in the world can we hear about the benefits of God's own character and not be moved to bless him like David? Aren't you thankful for the mercy and the grace of God towards you? Aren't you thankful for his patience with you and his steadfast love? We must not forget the benefits of God's own character. We must remind ourselves, like David did, of the great salvation that God has given to us because of his character, because of who he is. In just a few minutes, we'll see as we come to verse 13 that it's because of this that Yahweh treats us as a loving father would and not a just and wrathful judge as we deserve. The third type of benefit of God is found in verses 10 to 14. It's here that we find the benefits of God's tender compassion. As we look into verses 10 through 14, we'll begin to see the relationship between the attributes of God in verse 8 and the sin of Israel and our own sin as well. Verse 10 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Remember, as I said before, the steadfast love of Yahweh connects Yahweh's motivation to care for his people with our motivation to respond by blessing Yahweh. And in verse 10, we can see the clear connection between Yahweh's steadfast love and our praise of him because it's his steadfast love that paves the way for our forgiveness. God's steadfast love for his children is shown most beautifully in the forgiveness he gives to undeserving, wicked, wretched, unthankful, ungracious sinners like the Israelites and like you and like me. The same people who see the goodness of God and go right out and build a new idol to worship. When we read verse 10, were you amazed at the magnitude of its meaning? Maybe you weren't. I don't see any Ched shaking yes. Let's read it again. Listen carefully this time. He, Yahweh, does not deal with us according to our sins. He, Yahweh, does not repay us according to our iniquities. Somebody was saying amen earlier. That would be a good time to. So there are two negative statements that are made here in verse 10. Yahweh does not deal, and he does not repay. Psalm 130, verse 3 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And the answer is, no one. None of us could stand if we were dealt with according to our sins or repaid according to our iniquities. But God has done for us what we never and a million years could have done for ourselves. We know that God cannot and will not turn a blind eye to sin. I quoted from Exodus 34, 6, but we can't stop there because Exodus 34, 7 says this, that God will by no means clear the guilty. Nobody gets off scot-free. And if God dealt with us as we deserve, every one of us, from the cutest little baby I see over here, Jimmy's lab, to the most obnoxious person in the room, (laughs) we would all receive eternal punishment from God because that is what each one of us deserve. We are all in need of a righteousness that is not our own. 
and alien righteousness. And now we know how this is possible, how it is possible for God not to deal with us according to our sins. It's because he offered himself in our place. He paid the price for our sin and gave us his own righteousness. As Paul writes in Philippians 3, 9, found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In verses 11 through 13 of Psalm 103, David uses three comparisons to demonstrate the tender compassion and forgiveness of God. The first two comparisons serve to show the immensity of God's love and forgiveness toward us. They are intended to show us that God's love and forgiveness are immeasurable. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. How high are the heavens above the earth? Today we can figure this out. If you have any science background, I know there's at least one, maybe you're thinking, well, does he mean the troposphere, the stratosphere, the mesosphere? What are we talking about here? I'll give you the measurement. Clearly, David is offering this as a statement for effect. The psalmist is saying poetically, Yahweh's love is so high, you cannot measure it. It's staggering to even think about. It's so great that one day, from the psalmist's perspective, he would send his son to stand in our place and take our punishment. His steadfast love is so great that it was God's will to crush his own son for us, Isaiah 53.10. There's an important phrase at the end of verse 11. In fact, there's a phrase that occurs three times in the psalm in our verse here, 11, verse 13, and 17. It's a phrase, those who fear him. And it tells us something important about this steadfast love of Yahweh. We know, if we know our Bibles, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And we see in the psalm that Yahweh's steadfast love and compassion are for those who fear him. For those who truly worship God and treat their relationship to him with reverence. So what effect should the awareness of God's immeasurable, steadfast love have on us? If we fear him and we know he loves us, there is only one appropriate response, just one, worship. We will bless the Lord because why would the God of the universe who needs nothing to better himself or make himself more complete, why in the world would he show this kind of love to you? Why would he show it to me? But there's more. That's enough. But there's more. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. All right, scientists, if you are thinking you know how far the heavens are above the earth, how far is the east from the west? You don't know. This is infinite. It cannot be measured. This is how far he removes your sins from you. How great is the steadfast love of Yahweh? So great that he fully dealt with our sins and gave us his righteousness in their place. So great that he put our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. They're gone forever. Go trying to find them, but you never will. They're gone. And he did this all because of his grace. 
As the prophet Isaiah writes, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow, though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Isaiah 118. So the first two comparisons in verses 11 and 12 serve to show the immeasurable height and breadth of Yahweh's steadfast love. But in verse 13, we're shown just how personal this love is. This is not some cold, distant love. It's very personal. I was talking to uh, somebody before about uh, parents and child's relationships in Taiwan. And even, uh, you know, a year and a half, I'm not a cultural scholar. But they take care of each other. The families are very integrated. You have three or four generations living together. And they look out for each other. They take care of each other materially. They do everything you say. Well, that's, they're really looking out. But there is no warmth. Again, it's a universal statement. It's not fair. I'm just for you understand what I'm saying. You just don't see the warmth and the and the compassion and the and the really caring for what they take care of each other. They're around each other, but you're you've got this sort of cold love. That makes sense. What verse 13 says about tells us some lets us in immeasurable height, immeasurable breadth. We're blown away by that, but then verse 13 really, maybe not for you guys. When I read verse 13, it just absolutely finishes me. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Wow. David tells us here about the quality of Yahweh's compassion. He says that Yahweh's compassion is like a father's compassion for his children. Now, there's a good chance that your father's not a good representation of this. But David is speaking here of how it should be. He's speaking here of the warmth and affection that should exist within a family between a father and his children. This is a father kissing his daughter goodnight, reading to her, tucking her in bed. It's a dad who tickles his son and then carries him to bed when he falls asleep on the couch. It's as if David wants to make clear to us and to himself that this isn't some out there great immeasurable love. It's ours. This love that cannot be measured, the love that takes away our sin from us as far as the east is from the west, this is the love of our Father for us. Maybe your father wasn't like this or isn't like this at all. At the best, best case, you have a father who loves Jesus and tries to love you and fails at it. Here's a beautiful truth for all of us who fear God. No matter what your father was like or is like, you have a perfect, loving, heavenly father. Everything that you wish your dad could be, God is. Perfectly loving, patient, kind, showing compassion when you hurt, showing compassion even in discipline never giving you too much or too little. I think we do well to meditate on this truth about God's character a lot more often than we do. This is a church, and I'm glad that that, uh, is known and will remain known for theological precision, and I love that. I love it. But please don't ever let this slip out of your mind in the midst of your theological precision. Don't become cold and unfeeling. I'm talking to myself now, by the way. You can listen in. 
here's the thing. If we really understand that God is our Father and that He loves us in this way so perfectly in spite of our sin, how in the world could we defy Him and not obey Him? Those things are incompatible. Well, the benefits of God's tender compassion close with verse 14, a reminder of our need for God's mercy, for He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. This verse reminds us of our need for God's mercy because we truly are nothing more than walking dust. And it tells us, more importantly, this. God knows us just as deeply as he cares for us. Do you understand that? He doesn't love you and not know what you're like. He knows every single thing about you, all the thing you hide from everybody else. He knows that, and he loves you. He knows exactly what we're made of, and he loves us anyway. That's shocking. He knows our frame. He knows what we're made of, and he knows that we will fail him. And still he continues to remove our sin from us. How in the world could we ever forget the benefits of his tender compassion? But we do, because we're dust, and we need to be reminded Please do not forget the benefits of God's compassion, his tender compassion towards you. The fourth type of benefit is found in verses 15 through 18. It's the benefits of God's everlasting covenant. In verses 15 through 18, David presents a clear contrast between the nature of man and the nature of Yahweh and Yahweh's steadfast love. Verses 15 through 16 say, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. So man is referred to by David as being like grass and like a flower of the field. And David says further that when the wind passes over it, the grass and the flower, it's gone like it never even existed. That's what the phrase there, its place knows it no more, means. How many of you have ever walked by a field of grass and thought, oh no, where'd that blade of grass go that was in that field yesterday (laughs) nobody right okay (laughs) our church in in taipei is right across the street from taida taida i gotta say that right i just messed up the tones they my friends are watching and laugh at me right in front of taida there's a beautiful field of wildflowers i've never once walked by those flowers and said Hey, what happened to that yellow flower next to the red one that was there yesterday? When a blade of grass or a flower dies, guess what happens? Nobody remembers it. It's forgotten. And this is the picture that David gives us of humanity. We are just like the grass and the flowers, temporarily here and quickly forgotten when we're gone. Ever since mankind's fall into Genesis fall into sin in Genesis 3 we have lived in a world that is broken and hostile to life and every generation has walked on this earth it's died and been replaced by the next one just on and on and on I don't know about you but when I think that way it tends to make me feel hopeless and a little empty and that's what verses 15 and 16 should do they should make us feel the weight of our frailty if you have never felt the weight of of your frailty, I pity you. 
It's the best thing that can happen. Well, one of the best things that can happen is to feel the weight of your temporary nature and your frailty. And if the psalm ended there, if I stopped there, we really have no hope. There's no reason to go on with life. It's just we're going to die and the next generation is going to come up and everybody's going to forget us. But thank God that David does not leave it there. After he has pressed home our weakness, he immediately contrasts it with the steadfast love of Yahweh. But the steadfast love of the Lord, verse 17, is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Yes, we are indeed weak and temporary, but the steadfast love of Yahweh is forever. Literally, Yahweh's steadfast love is from eternity past to eternity future. And because Yahweh is a covenant-keeping God, we should be thankful to him and driven to bless his name. So even though we will indeed soon pass away like grass and flowers, even though we cannot avoid death, we can know that Jesus lives and that he has himself taken away the sting of death that we will all face. Our lives are temporary, but Yahweh is forever. Notice in verses 17 and 8 through 18 that David tells us three characteristics of those who receive the steadfast love of Yahweh. Those who fear him, verse 17. Those who keep him, keep his covenant, verse 18. And those who remember his precepts to do, do them. David is calling those who would be followers of Yahweh to obedience. If we really know God and are his followers, then our lives must indicate that he is Lord. And this, by the way, absolutely, absolutely crushes the idea that anyone can be a follower of Yahweh, a follower of God, and live a life that remains unchanged. We should bless God because of the benefits of his everlasting covenant. Finally, let's look at the fifth benefit of God. In verse 19, we see the benefit of God's sovereign control. The psalmist says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. This verse really stands alone. And it's a clear statement of Yahweh's absolute control and rule over all aspects, over every part of his own creation. All the focus here is on God. And we can tell this especially from the Hebrew word order. You know I had to do something like this, right? In normal Hebrew word order, the sentence starts with a verb. That's how they like to do their sentences in Hebrew. It's not unusual for the order to be different, but if it is, there's a reason for it. In this verse, David begins with the name Yahweh. And when this happens, as it often does, it's as if the writer, there's no bolding and underlining in Hebrew. It means something if you did that, probably. It's like he's underlining the name of God, highlighting it, circling it. He's highlighting the fact that Yahweh is the one in the heavens, and Yahweh and no one else reigns over everything. David is reminding himself and us that God is in control. And this truth of God's sovereignty serves to complement all of Yahweh's other blessings. After all, he could be the most compassionate. He could do all these other things we talked about. But if he's not in control, then well, there's no point to any of it anyway. But because he is in, in absolute control, he is absolutely sovereign. 
he can bring to pass everything that we talked about. And this truth of his sovereignty should bring us incredible comfort because God's personal care, his own character, his tender compassion, his everlasting covenant are all possible because he is sovereignly ruling over all. We must not forget the benefits of Yahweh. As the psalm draws to a close in the final verses, verses 20 through 22, David again increases the size of the choir being called to bless God. David moved first from a solo, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, to calling the people of God to bless the Lord. Now, in these final verses, David is calling all of creation to join and blessing Yahweh. And because David just can't get over all the benefits of God, he again joins in the praise himself, ending the psalm by saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. I don't know about you. I need this psalm today. In fact, I need it every day. And I think I'm safe in saying we need it because we are so prone to forget what God has done for us, the benefits of God. When we read in this psalm and see them so clearly, it's hard to understand why we forget, isn't it? Until we see how frail and temporary we are. But God, Yahweh, knows your frame. He remembers your dust. He knows how quickly we forget, and so he gives us a psalm like this, a wonderful psalm like this to remind us. Let us not forget the benefits of God, of his personal care, his own character, his tender compassion, his everlasting covenant, and his sovereign control. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just stand amazed that you would give these things to us, that you would continually pour out your grace on us and your compassion on us. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for providing this psalm to remind us. Thank you that you know us so well that you know our tendency to forget. And instead of chastising us for that, you continue to give us reminders of what you've done. Thank you for sending your son to accomplish the redemption that David speaks about here. And that we really can know for sure that one day we will be what we are. In your name we pray, amen.